If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 4. We'll be there in just a second. And then you might want to mark 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to bounce back and forth between those two passages. Um, a little bit about me. I, I, by nature, am a boundary pusher. Um, I don't like limits. I push up against them. And I was the kid who was in the back seat talking to my parents, always saying, why, why, why? And I recognize now that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because that's my son now that does that to me. But one of the things that happens as a boundary pusher is that you get to know your principles well. Um, elementary school, I knew the principles well. Middle school and high school. Now, I didn't mind as much being sent to the principal's office. If I was in class, did something, said something, probably innocently, and was sent to the principal's office, I knew that on the walk there, I could kind of form my story a little bit. I, could, I, knew, I knew what my case was going to be when I got in there, and I could spin it a little bit. The hard ones are the ones when the principal calls the classroom and ask you to come there, and you have no idea why. And so now on the walk there, it's kind of this panic moment because you don't know what's going to happen in the office. I remember being in football practice one time, and the office sent someone down there to ask me to come visit the principal. And now I'm in a huge dilemma because I can leave football practice and suffer the wrath of the football coach, or I can go to the office and suffer the wrath of the principal. So I chose to stay in football practice, um, which did not go over real well with my parents or uh, the principal. But one of the things that happens in the principal's office is you have very honest conversations. Um, and that's what we're going to have this morning, is we're going to have an honest conversation about church. We're going to have an honest conversation about church as crossroads and what our role is in the church as a whole. So let's pray this morning. God, we're grateful for the times that you give us to share together. We're grateful for uh, the body of Christ, for uh, this method, this way that you have set up that out of, out of your love for us, that you uh, ordained, that you knitted together the body of Christ, the church. And we pray that in unity, that in truth, that in love, that we would serve well, that we would uh, that we would serve courageously, that we would walk out uh, in our community as leaders in that. Uh, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say this morning. And would you pour through me the gift of preaching, that every word that comes in my mouth uh, would be of you, that all honor, that all glory is given to you as we open the word today. In the name of Jesus, uh, the church said, yeah. amen. So, a little over a week ago, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. If you don't know what Apollo 11 is, it's where uh, Neil Armstrong went to the moon. Him and two others uh, go. First time anyone's ever been on the moon. And we celebrated 50 years from that. And I was reading this article about all the things that went into making Apollo 11 happen. And here's some of the statistics that came from that. Over 17,000 engineers and mechanics had a role in putting together Apollo 11. Over 5,000 seamstresses had a role in putting together the suits that the astronauts wore 
on Apollo 11. And all in all, over 400,000 people played a role in getting Apollo 11 to the moon. 400,000. And my takeaway from that is that nothing significant happens by ourselves. But for us to get somewhere significant, it takes the people that are in our lives. Even though you may think, you know what, I made it to this spot on my own and I really want to challenge that. I think there are people, that there are stepping stones, that there are fingerprints on your life of ways that other people have helped shape and helped form and helped push you into the significant things that have happened in your life. Seven years ago, Jennifer and I moved uh, here to Decatur. When we first moved here, uh, I was in an interim pastor role down in Arlington. So it was supposed to be only three months long. It ended up being about 11 months long. So for about 11 months, we were driving to Arlington uh, until that role uh, was filled. And then we came here looking for a church home. I work every third Sunday. And so I, I told Jennifer that I really wanted her to have a, a major say in where we went to church because she was going to have to go there by herself every third week. My only stipulation was I wanted it to be in our community. I didn't want to be a family that drives 45 minutes, an hour to church. I think there are some really unhealthy habits, and it's very difficult to be part of a community when we travel that far uh, to go to church. So that was the only stipulation that I put on it. So on a Saturday, um, we go furniture shopping over in Crossroads, Texas, and we spend the day over there, drive back. We're still talking about church. Uh, I go to work on Sunday morning. And she calls me and she says, uh, I think I'm going to go visit Crossroads this morning. I didn't know a lot about it, uh, Decatur at the time. And so I had no idea what Crossroads Church was. And so I told her, no, you're not. <laughs> Husbands, that is not a great way to enter a conversation. <laughs> we don't have a lot of conflict in our marriage, just the way that, that our personalities mesh together. Um, this might have been the biggest argument that we've ever had. It lasted for about 15 minutes. Because I thought she was going to Crossroads, Texas to go to church, which is about a 40-minute drive. And so I said, you can can go there tomorrow, but we're not going to church there. And this goes back and forth till finally she she convinces me that there is a Crossroads church in Decatur, Texas. The next Sunday, we, we came here together. I only really knew three families in Decatur. I wasn't real sure where they went to church. All three of them went here. Here we are. So that was, six years later, we're at, we're at Crossroads Church. When I first got here, there was about maybe 175 people or so. We're pushing about 400. Now Crossroads is a great place to be. It's a great church. It's a fine church to be. And I use that word because I'm not interested in being part of something that's just a fine church. I'm not interested in being a, a church that is minimalist or that is well enough. And I'm not saying Crossroads is that, but I think every church in Uh, Westernized Christianity in particular has a tendency to fall into behaviors, habits, and attitudes that lend themselves towards complacency or that lend themselves to doing just well enough. And if, if that's what we as a whole are interested in, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in being a fine church. That's not what Christ has called us to. Crossroads has very unique opportunities in Decatur and in Wise County, uh, that we have specific roles that we can serve in. And some of those we're already serving in, others of them we're yet to, but it's time to step into those. That's who we're called to be. 
I'm not interested either in just being a church that, that is just for you. Too often, that's what we fall into. How can the church serve me? How can the church fill me? Like I said, we're going to have some honest conversations this morning, and, and I'm here to tell you, the church isn't for you. The church, the church isn't here just for you. When we become disciples of Christ, our life changes, and it becomes into not just being disciples of Christ, but now producing disciples of Christ. The church isn't just about the service here on Sunday mornings. It's about the serving that happens in the other times. We gather here on Sunday mornings to encourage, to edify, to worship together. The church isn't these walls. You've heard these things before. Church isn't these walls. Even though that, that seems to be the mentality that we fall into real often. The church isn't here for you. It's here because of you. It's here because this is what Christ knitted together. And he calls us into something greater, into those unique opportunities that he's given us collectively here in this city and in this county to move into. And so when we get here and we think that church is just for us, our faith becomes complacent and our faith becomes dormant and nobody's life has ever been changed by a dormant faith. Nobody's life has ever been changed by a stagnant faith. But I'm telling you, in all honesty, there are people in this room, there are people in your workplace, and there are people in this community that's lives need to hear your active faith. Outside of the dormancy, outside of being stagnant, your active faith for what Christ has done in your life. And it's time to step into that because someone's needing it. So Ephesians 4, we're going to start in uh, verse 11. This is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is what Paul's saying. Sometimes I get lost in the wordiness of Scripture. This is what Paul's saying right here. He's saying, Christ, who in his great love gave himself up for you, put into place the church to be the body of Christ. Not just to reflect, not just to be an example of, to be the body of Christ. Christ, because of his great love for us, gave this. We talked a couple of weeks ago, how are we supposed to act? Husbands, how do we treat our wives? We, we, we treat them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. How do we treat each other? We treat them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And that's why it pains me so often when I hear disciples or when I hear Christians talk so poorly about the church. 
Because what you're doing is you're talking poorly about Christ. Now, do people mess up? Yes. Do people, have people been wounded by people from the church? Yes. But the church has not wounded people. The body of Christ has not wounded people. Are we following? But the body of Christ is here because of what Christ did to put it together. And so I want to encourage you this morning, you have a unique gifting. You have a unique talent that's, that was given specifically to you. And when those are dormant, nobody is changed by them. But here in America, this is our, our mindset sometimes, is that the way that the church is set up is that we hire people who do the work for us. And when we're here on Sunday mornings, we're ministered to. Or throughout the week, if, if, we, if we see someone that meets, that has a need, we send them to the hired people. And that's not the language of Scripture. Because what Paul says there is he says, Christ set people up by their unique giftings to be blank, to be pastors, to be teachers, to be servants. All of these things are set up by your unique gifting. And no one is changed by a dormant gift. In fact, he says this, after he talks about the things that he set up, it says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. When, okay, the body of Christ is built up which means that there's production, which means that there's fruit from these gifts. And when I don't use my unique gifting or my unique talent that God has put in me, there's no fruit from that. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is your unique gift? What is your unique talent that you have to give to the church? Matt Chandler uses this example that I was really convicted by of football practice. In first service, we had some football coaches here, so I asked them specifically, but I don't see any of them here at second service. But can you, so they start football camp tomorrow and then practice starts the week after that. Can you imagine how a high school football team would think mentally if they practice Monday through Friday, they prepare, they scheme, they watch film, they do all these things to get ready for Friday night and then they don't play the game. And then the next week, they start over again on Monday. They scheme, they watch video, they prepare to get ready for Friday night, and they don't play the game. And they go through the whole season repeating that cycle. Do you think many of them would be left on the team? Probably not. But that's how we treat the church sometimes. We prepare, we scheme, we get ready, and we never play the game. We never get involved in anything. We never use our unique talents. We never, we never get to celebrate the joys of team or the joys uh, of scoring a touchdown or the joys of all these things that happen through our lives because we don't step into the game. And spectatorship is strangling and it's neutering the gospel and the ministry here in our country. And I, wanna, I don't just want to be gen, uh, speaking generic. I want to be very specific that spectatorship is strangling and it's neutering the gospel here in Decatur. Because we have people that are uniquely gifted and uniquely talented that are suppressing their gifts from the body of Christ, either out of fear or out of, of busyness or out of prioritization or whatever reason it is, it's being suppressed. And I want to challenge you out of that this morning because that's what Christ challenges us out of. 
He knitted you together with these gifts, with these talents, and how can you use those for the church? Maybe it's not teaching in kids' class that, that you feel led to. Maybe it's not the youth or, or, or being on the welcome team. And that's okay. That might not be the way that you're uniquely gifted, but you are uniquely gifted. And you have something to offer the church. And what statistics tell us is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I'm not okay with that. As one of the leaders of our church, I'm not okay with that. And I hope you're not either. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. Starting in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone in Christ... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's good news, right? That's our life story. The old has gone, the new has come. So now what? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. He's committed you. He's called you to the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're called to this ministry of reconciliation. But so often our lives fall into the segmentation of the way that we live it out. And rather than reconciling things, rather than reconciling our workplace with our faith or our home life with our faith or our church life with our faith, we have it segmented out to where nothing is reconciled. And we wonder why we're so stressed out. We wonder why there's such high levels of anxiety because we have all these different boxes that we're trying to fill different roles in rather than living out our identity as the ambassadors of Christ. This summer, we've heard a lot about identity. Todd preached about it last week. I preached about it three weeks ago. Darren preached about it in June. And before that, we've heard a lot about identity. And what happens when we recognize our identity in Christ is it compels us into how to act. It compels us into what to do because of who we are. We should know how to act because of who we are. The old is gone, the new has come, and he's called us into reconciliation. So how can you, with the specific gifts, with the unique wiring that God has gifted you, be a part of the ministry of reconciliation in the church? How can you, with your unique gifting, be part of being a Christ ambassador in your life? I just want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, how has Christ gifted me? What brings you joy? What brings you life? I mean, I look throughout this room and, and I, I don't want to call anybody out. I see gifts, I see talents in this room that aren't being used. And I want to challenge you out of that. I hear so often from people, I'm, I'm just bored at church. I'm bored at church. And I want to really speak to that. 
I want everybody to look at me right now, but specifically, I want the men to look at me right now. Because if you're bored at church, you're not working in your unique gifting. If you're bored at church, and I'm not talking about these walls, I'm talking about within the body of Christ. If you're bored, if you're not living in joy, if you're not living in the fullness of Christ, you're not living in your unique gifting. And you're doing something wrong. And I see gifts of craftsmanship. I see gifts of administration. I see gifts of hospitality. I see gifts of music. I see gifts of of speaking to oppression. I I see gifts of speaking to people who are wounded all throughout this room. I'm not making these up. I'm looking at people right now and I see these gifts that are not being used, that people need your active faith to receive the gospel of Christ. And when it's not being used, it's either fear, it's either complacency, or it's selfishness. And I'm not okay with that, and I hope you're not either. I remember a number of years ago laying in bed. Jennifer and I were talking and all of a sudden she starts crying. And in my mind, I immediately think to what, what did I do wrong? What could I, I, I felt like we were having a good conversation. <laughs> and she says, I'm, I just can't believe our kids are growing up. And <laughs> I started laughing. Because I got this image in my mind of my son being like eight years old and not walking. Because those, those are the, the steps that make, us, that make us reminisce and cry, right? This is when my kids started walking. Can you imagine having like an older kid, like sending your kid off to high school and he doesn't know how to walk yet? I mean, my son started walking about, at about eight or nine months, I think. Is that right? Nine months? Yeah. And the minute he started walking, he didn't want to be held anymore. And my daughter was the opposite. She's 11, and if I would carry her around all the time, she would want that. But I look throughout the church right now, and I see people who have been discipled for seven years, for 15 years, for 20 years, and you hadn't learned to walk yet. And it's time to take some steps in our faith. I said we were going to have some honest conversations this morning. There are people in here who are still infancy in their faith because they haven't challenged themselves to get beyond that. And they've received healing from whatever situation they were coming out of. They've received the gospel of Christ, but they grew comfortable and you grew complacent where you are. And we haven't stepped beyond that. And I want to challenge you out of that this morning. That in your unique gifting, the church needs you. Someone needs your active faith. Maybe it's in your household. Maybe it's in your workplace. And we celebrate those steps. As our kids grow up, we celebrate the steps. We celebrate the steps. Here's who I'm not talking to this morning. As I know that there are people in this room who are wounded. And you're not in a place where where you can give right now. And that's okay. 
One of the unique opportunities that Crossroads has in our community is being a safe place and being a safe haven for people that are coming out of or maybe still in situations like that. We often, we often talk about, uh, or other people kind of outside of our church have called us the emergency room. And that's great. But the emergency room is not meant for long-term care. And when we receive healing, we're called into life. And if you're in one of those places right now, we want to join you in that. We want to walk alongside of you. But we're not okay with you staying there. And so we step out of that. We step into something else. We step into the greater things that, that Christ is calling us into. We receive healing. We receive restoration. And we go. That's what the hospital is about, right? Healing, restoration, go. I'm going to go ahead and call the worship team back up here. Maybe, maybe you're wondering this morning, where, where do I start? Where do we even begin with that? Everything starts at one. You can't, you can't start at step seven. I'm the king of that. I'm the king of, of going and buying some appliance or trying to put something together, and I start on page two putting it together. And then a week later, I wonder why it doesn't work. But that's what we do in our lives. We try to jump ahead and we, try to, we see how someone else is doing it and we try to start where they're at. And if you don't know where to start this morning, start at one. And your one might be asking, asking your spouse or asking someone next to you, you know, what do you see as my unique gifting? How, how can I use that? Or maybe it's asking one of the pastors or maybe it's asking one of the ministry leaders or asking one of the elders, where can I start here? And let's go. Because we need your unique gifting here. Jimmy Carter, back when he was president, told a story about when he was first coming to faith. And he was listening to this preacher, and he was convicted when the preacher asked this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would they have any evidence to convict you? And I want to ask you that this morning. If you're a disciple of Christ, what's the fruit? If you're a disciple of Christ, what's the evidence of that? Because I want to be a church that's put for life in prison because of the evidence and the fruit that we're producing here in Wise County through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I want to be a church that's 100% about the expansion of the kingdom kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. If you've heard this morning anything that sounds like a, a works-based gospel, that's not what I'm saying. If you've heard anything this morning that's based on a guilt-laden gospel, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to guilt you into doing anything that, you're, that you don't want to do. What I'm saying is when we know who we are in Christ, we are compelled to do. When we know who we are in Christ, we know how to act. I believe 
100% that God has greater things for Crossroads Church. I believe 100% that he's calling us into greater things. And I believe 100% that nobody ever gets anywhere significant by themselves. And that dormant faith never changed anybody's life. So I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our ministry team to, to come forward. And if there's something that they can pray with you about, not, maybe not even something that we've talked about this morning, something going on in your life, celebration going on in your life, whatever, we want to join you in prayer. We want to walk alongside of you in that. But my prayer over our church this morning is that just as Ephesians 4 says, that as Christ has ordained, as Christ has put pieces into place, has uniquely gifted you, uniquely wired you, that because of those gifts, because of those wiring, that the fruit and production will cause us to grow and grow in the unity of, of the body of Christ and to the full measure that Christ has called us into. That's who we are. So God, we ask this morning, I ask that the power of your revelation through the Spirit that you would place on our hearts what it is, how it is that you gifted us. For people in this room that, that aren't sure where to start, I pray for conviction on their heart. Conviction of the Holy Spirit that it starts here, that it starts with Jesus Christ, that it starts with identity. And as sons and daughters of yours, we're compelled to act like our Father. I pray against fear. I pray against shame. I pray against not enoughs. I pray against doubt. I pray against complacency and lukewarmness. I pray against minimalist. I pray against well enough because you call us to greater things. You call us into life abundant. As we sang earlier, that you are our foundation. And I pray that our feet, that our church, that our work, that our actions are founded in Christ our Savior. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the resurrected Son. And the church said, Amen.